did you find it in like a matrix of other ancient things made of paper from the time have before a, the have, internet? I have entire shelves of things made of paper here. See, that's called the and matrix. leather too. That's, that's called in paleolithic paleontology terms that's called a, a matrix so when you find a fossil oh. in matrix that's what you're so that that whatever that shelf of matrix that you have there um that you pulled out your thesauri does that mean i'm going to be able to jump up in the air and grab bullets and dodge them and things like that yeah because you were in the matrix obviously mm. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Now fill the wall up with our English dead. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another second hour of the personal wealth coach, which may or may not be exciting. The the may not may be heavier than the may. We'll we'll see. I mean, if you look at a calendar, it's a lot heavy on the not may, a lot heavier on the not may than on the may. So may nots may win in calendar terms. May or may not win on calendar's turn. Yeah. <clears throat> now that I've you know, dug a hole I with a tell, pun. I can tell you're a dad. That I'm a dad? Yes. Well, I can tell that you're my dad. That's true. We're both dads, so we do dad jokes almost constantly. Yes. I get, I came, I did two of them. I gave two of them last night to a dad to take home so he could use them. Is it last night? Not first. Anyway, I gave two of them. One of them is, what do you call a legless cow? I know the answer to that, but I'll let you say it. What do you call a legless cow? Ground beef. That's very nice. What do you call a cow with two legs on one side? I'd say I already know that one too, but I'll, what, yeah. what do you call that? What do you call that? Lean beef. Very nice. Do you have any, any more? No, that's all I've got right now. Okay. Uh, those are good cow jokes. Those are. Uh, unless you're a vegan and now you have changed the channel. Right. I, <laughs> somehow, I don't think we have a lot of vegans listening to KTEM. We, what do you think? Well, it's not necessarily. We have a podcast and we have people listening in strange places for us anyway. And, Could be. Could um, be. And, and right. seeing as that you have a daughter who's vegetarian and another daughter who has occasionally been vegan, it wouldn't be odd to have at least one listen and then roll their eyes and go, oh no, we can't even go five minutes of a radio program without you describing the slaughter of an animal. I didn't say anything about slaughtering animals. No, see, I'm, I'm, I'm going into, you, you went into extreme detail and it was very gory. These oh, okay. Child right. dad jokes. Yes. Go ahead. Um, well, well, I mean, okay. you, you started with jokes, so that usually means you're at the beginning of something. I'm letting you... Or, or possibly at the end of something. It could be, yes. But every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Well, one of the things time. I wanted to, to comment about is that um, a lot of times we tend to overrate the communists in the past. Now, well, the, the People's Republic of China is still technically communist. They claim to be communist. They're not, but they claim to be communist. Um, the Russians and so on. This is the point. Um, they don't have anything like the control or mastery of what they do in militarily that they pretend to have. They really don't. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in the article, so I've read several articles on the Chinese military recently. The best one is in The Economist. And uh, what it pointed out was even something Chairman Jia said. He said it's called the peace sickness. The largest actual military action where people were killed in the history of the People's Republic of, our, of, of China since it's been formed was at Tiananmen Square when they were shooting at civilians. They've literally never been in a war. They have never been up against an enemy. And the 
The point is they, they still have commissars in their units. And so they put on these set piece wars where everything is planned out to the tiniest percent of 1% in advance. And everybody goes through this action. And if the script says you're losing, you lose. And if the script says you're winning, you win. And But they don't ever have any free play because somebody would look bad. And whoever looked bad probably would get uh, relieved of command and sent off to a labor education camp or something like that. So they have this tradition, as did the Russians, of not really exercising. And the reason I say that is because when I w- was observing the, the Soviet army, which is the, the modern Russian army, is virtually the same thing. Even the, tra- the tanks look very, very similar to the ones they had in the 1970s. They have the same load si- loading system, which we saw as a failure at the time. And it is. And all the things that they do, they did pretty much the same then as they did now. And when they went to invade Ukraine, our intelligence analysts on the U.S. side, as across the world, assumed they would just roll across Ukraine because they have this huge army. They have this modern equipment. They've been practicing it for over half a century. You'd think they would. They just rolled across Ukraine. Instead of rolling across Ukraine, they rolled into there and literally got stuck. Literally. They were unable to move, not because the Ukrainians put up a very effective fight right at the beginning of the war. They didn't put up a fight at the beginning of the war, a significant fight. The Russians basically bogged down in their own tactics. Then the Ukrainians started having a field day with them and became more and more confident and more and more confident until they pushed the Russians out of most of Ukraine. Uh, and I, one of the things that occurred to me was I was reading that article is I, if I were a betting man, I would bet money that China is in the same boat. They really have never done what the United States has done routinely, which is allow free flow exercises in large areas. We, the United States traditionally does that. They put their forces in the field. They put as realistic as simulators they can on. So when a tank fires, you see the muzzle flash and they have sensors on there and computers controlling it so that if the tank gets hit, it's out, it's out and they see who wins. And losing doesn't mean you get relieved. It, you get asked if you if a commander loses, he says, here's what I learned from this and here's what we did wrong. And everybody goes, yeah, let's go back and try that again. Let's play again. And uh, it's it's obviously better to win if you did something particularly brilliant. But it's, uh, it, it, is, it is a tremendous uh, issue. China has the largest, by the way, the largest military in the world now by far. The United States doesn't have that. It has the best financed military in the world right now by far uh it has it is expanding its military at a rate we've not seen since world war ii in the united states expansion to world war ii is about the rate to which china is expanding its military while at the same time they are entering into an economic uh let me say difficulty at this point their their economy is back in deflation their real estate sector is being held up the same way Exactly the same way, by the way, that Japan dealt with the real estate collapse they had in 1991, and it lost them a decade. Basically, for a decade, the the Japanese economy from 1991 to, to about 2001 was fundamentally a zombie. And then, of course, in 2001 through 2000, all the way through 2002, we had a worldwide recession, which they slid into with everybody else. And so they really lost a lot of time and a lot of growth. And since then, they, and this is an interesting point, the Japanese hit their peak population just before the real estate collapse. The Chinese have hit their peak population just before the two biggest real estate companies and developers in the world are both effectively bankrupt, but they have not declared bankruptcy. 
which is exactly what happened in Japan, because the banks had loaned these companies so much money. If the companies declared bankruptcy, the banks would go under. And the Japanese were afraid it would take the entire economy with them with the banks went under. The Chinese are very much in the same position. And I think it tremendously ironic. Jake, the thing you said about the hack into the Chinese, what's, which was, what was the name of the bank? It's the biggest bank in China. ICBC. <clears throat> uh, international, what is it? It's the Industrial Commerce Bank of China. Um, okay, it's basically a state-owned, huge monstrosity, or semi-state-owned, state-controlled. Uh, industrial and Commercial Bank of China, I'm sorry. Right. And it's just goes by ICBC. does business around the world, and I'm convinced that they are in a world of hurt financially right now because they loaned a tremendous amount of money to both Country Garden, I think one of the Country Garden, what was the other one that went under earlier? It didn't go under, it didn't bang, go bankrupt. Um, but they, it's kind of gotten to be old news now. The ones defaulting on their bonds to Westerners, but are not bankrupt. Anyway. Uh, let me see. Uh, Evergrande. Ever, Ever, Evergrande and Evergrande. Country That's Garden. A, what interesting yeah, names. Yeah. They're Evergrande. Anyway. Yes. Ever. Uh, ever ever broke, right. Uh, and there are, a apparently from observers, a host of condominium-filled buildings, huge condominium-filled buildings in Chinese cities that look magnificent from the outside but not livable on the inside where people have already paid for their condominium home in the building. And they can't move into it because it's not being finished because the companies that are building it have gone broke, but they're not allowed to go bankrupt, which is... Leads to a completely different subject, and I'll shut up after this. The completely different subject is one of the big lessons we learned in the United States of America in the beginning of the 20th century. Actually, we learned it in the mid-19th century, but it took us a long time to get our act together on it. An effective bankruptcy code that allows a company or a person to go bankrupt in an orderly fashion and potentially recover and pay off their debts if they can, is critical to the success of a society, a socioeconomic system. They don't have one of those in China. They don't have one of those in Russia. They don't have a method of dealing with bankruptcy because that admits that companies will go bankrupt, which they don't want to admit. And that's the end of my little soliloquy. That's very well done. Now, having said that, to tie that back... One of the advantages that they're having, it's also a disadvantage, is that they're buying cheaper oil than usual in China. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we talk about Brent crude and West Texas Intermediate crude as the global price tag on what people are buying and selling crude. China doesn't buy at those price tags. I mean, occasionally. It does buy some from the United States, the West Texas Intermediate, and it does buy some from Europe in Brent, but it buys a whole bunch. That's a technical term, by the way. You can measure bunches in barrels somehow, somehow. They buy a bunch of oil from Russia. Just an interesting little connection there that, you know, the, the price of oil that they're paying is lower than the price of oil that we're paying. China is on the verge and into what we call deflation. What is deflation? Uh, people understand inflation a lot more than they understand deflation. When prices keep going up, it doesn't feel good because your bank balance has to go up at least as fast to keep up. That's one of the glories of the most recent batch of inflation in the United States is that when you measure how much money we've been making, we've actually earned money faster than inflation. Now, that wasn't consistent. There were definitely times when inflation took off and left our paychecks behind, Deflation's the other way around. 
And you would think, why? What's wrong with deflation? Prices are going down. That's that. Who wouldn't want prices to go down? The problem is that people get laid off or are fired at the same time. That's part of the reason why prices have to go down because before they went down, demand for the products had to go down. That usually happens due to high unemployment. Well, we've been talking for what eight months about this that the Chinese. Had a 26% unemployment in their just after college age working environment. That's extremely high. That's usually a high unemployment demographic. You, I mean, in the United States, we're in the roughly the 10% range there when we're down below 4% across the whole spectrum. In China, they're up in the 25% range, or at least they were. And they addressed it by stopping reporting about it. So after that kind of egg-on-the-face incident of, whoa, we're at 25% unemployment, oh, we don't need to tell you about that anymore. They stopped reporting. But now we're seeing prices dropping in China. It's mentioned in our newsletter. Deflation is happening. And what happens there is that's a lot worse for people with less money than inflation. I'll give you an example. Say you have a mortgage, you've bought a house, you've got 30 years to pay that mortgage. Inflation occurs. Well, this is part of the reason why people don't want to sell their houses right now because their mortgage interest rate is so low. It's so good for them to have a low interest rate. Inflation can be good if you have debt. Deflation does the opposite. You're now locked into a 30-year contract to pay a given mortgage rate, a given payment. And your pay is going down because the value of money has gone down. That means you're still on the hook for the same amount of money uh, in, the, in the normal sense. That means your mortgage just went up. You wanted to add something? I wanted to add two things about China that I saw recently, again, in The Economist, which does a very good job of covering China. Number one, you talked about the fact that China is buying a lot of oil from Russia. Yes. And looks like they're committed to that, except for the fact that Russia wanted to build a new pipeline from Siberia into China and China said, no way, Jose. Right. Which means they fully, they do not fully intend to keep buying oil from Russia. At the same time that they're buying a lot more oil from Russia, they're pushing renewable energies as hard as they can because they know Russia's not a very reliable ally. Ukraine thought they were for a while. So did Georgia. The other thing that I read, looking at the debt in various nations, in the EU and in Russia and in the United States and in China, China's debt is very opaque. They don't announce how much they owe as a government. And the other thing is the local governments are not separate as they are in the United States. The United States, each state is separate from the federal government and the local governments are separate from the state government. There's only one government in China and it's and in everything from the municipal level up through the national level is one government. Yeah. The, the, dog cut, the dog catcher in a village is paid by the People's Republic of China. Right. And this is an interesting point. If you take all of the what's called public debt in China, and you have to extrapolate that because they don't report on it, but apparently the economists spent several years trying to figure out how much they owed and discovered that the large, the as large as our national debt is in the United States, which is their federal debt, which is pretty astonishing, China's is just as large in terms of percent of GDP and maybe larger. So deflation in China would bite them extremely hard. You mentioned the fact that it, with inflation, debts lose their bite. And as an interesting point, nobody that I, except one place I read this, um, I think, it, I don't remember which article I read where, 
But we just had, over the last couple of years, the equivalent of about 15% inflation, right? Yep. That means the national debt fell by 15% because of that. Right. And if the you, dollars are still there, yeah. but, but they're, they're less expensive to buy, to pay off. When last week I talked about how our debt to GDP adjusted for inflation is lower than it was three years ago, four years ago. Yes. Which is weird because we had that big buying spree where we paid the, the whole people of the United States a whole bunch of money. Um, some of that went to fraud. Obviously, there's there's different estimates on that. Anywhere between five and ten percent of those big um, stimuluses, stimuli to the economy went to fraud, and we're beginning to catch up on some of the prosecution of that, the most egregious. But the reality was that when those different stimulus events occurred, <clears throat> what was happening is a lot of money needed to get out immediately or the entire economy would fail. Small businesses across the country would simply have just ceased to exist. Um, and, and we got to experience two sides of that, or I did. I'm the, on the board for a nonprofit school. We're both on the board for that school now. And during the pandemic, it almost disappeared because Without tuition, how do you pay teachers? And if you don't pay the teacher, then they go somewhere else. And how do you continue to pay a teacher when you don't have money to pay attention? This is a not-for-profit school and emphasize on the not. So how did that work out? Well, the United States government issued some money to protect protect paychecks and rent. And then the Texas Workforce Commission from the state of Texas issued money to child care service providers to say, hey, we don't want you all to disappear because that would impact our ability to do commerce. It's a lot harder to go to work with your kids than without them. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. Well, I know Elder Baldy has noticed that. Um, it's a lot harder to work uh, with a kid in the... Wait a minute. I am the kid in the office. Younger kids in the office uh, than otherwise. So these stimulus checks went out. Did anybody take advantage of those and steal the money? Yep, people did. But in the process, it maintained businesses to open back up that would have just gone away. In the process, we started a bunch of new businesses too. Now, they didn't get the stimulus checks because they actually had to have been in business for a year before they could get the checks. But a lot of people got unemployed anyway. Their unemployment rates were up, so they worked on their own business. We had more business, produ business production, new businesses made in the United States during the pandemic than if you take the 20 years prior combined. You come forward a few years, we've had a lot of bankruptcies of those new businesses. Um, businesses, but nowhere near as many as should be expected for that many new businesses to start. And we're starting to see a lot of that come out. People go, what, what are you talking about, Jake? How did new businesses start? People don't generally see the new businesses until they get big. But all you have to do is look around for a second. Five years ago, how many space exploration companies were there? Well, you could count them on one hand. Now there are dozens. There's not an accurate count. Dozens of them. How about Electric vehicle manufacturing. Again, five years ago, it was you could have been severely maimed and still count them on one hand. And now there are dozens, maybe hundreds of them in the United States. There's thousands in China. Well, China's new business production came from failing larger businesses. Ours came from not failing businesses, which is why we have this growth that we've come out 
of the pandemic with, where people are going, what, how, can we, how can the economy still be growing when all the tea leaves and all the pundits are saying it can't be, but you still have massive traffic on the highway, you still can't get into a restaurant without waiting for an hour. Well, what's, what's driving that? Well, what's driving that is that we became more productive. We crunched down harder because we get to keep what we make because we truly do own things here. Now, there are rules to keep us from on purpose going out and damaging other businesses because they're in competition from, with us. It's not dog eat dog and cutthroat and all the rest that people talk about capitalism. There's some degree of that. But capitalism on a whole is about making a good product that people want to keep buying from you and continuing to do that and hoping that other people make good products. And what we're seeing coming, coming out of China is the quality level has been dropping. And it's dropped drastically. Prices over there have dropped drastically. There's all these conflicting headlines that I'm reading, by the way. Just You've probably seen them too. Europe is really upset about China for dumping its exports on the market um, at cheap rates. And at the same time, you hear that same day, same newspaper, China's exports tumble against fresh sign of economic trouble. So not only are they dumping at below production costs the stuff that they're dumping on the market, they're making less of it. So I actually ran into that and I didn't bite on it, but it's still there. I, I got, I had to order a piece for my telescope mm -hmm. and, uh, actually for the VR glasses, I ordered a piece. That's where it started. And, um, I ordered it from a company in China via one of the Chinese equivalents of Amazon. Right. And it didn't come in and they refunded me the money. The reason it didn't come in is the company that was supposedly making it gave them a false number and apparently never produced it just to begin with. So that was all kind of good, but I got on their mailing list. And so they send me ads every day and they, I, I'm not kidding you. They are offering drones, the kind that from that, if you buy on a reputable site and so on, normally would be like 500 to $600 mm -hmm. for a dollar and 67 cents. Which, which I investigated. Right. What's the shipping cost? The shipping cost is $10. So $11.60 and you get a $500 drone. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I got to researching it. Companies that were selling drones like hotcakes not very long ago uh, suddenly are out of business. They got lots of drones. To, they, nobody's ordering drones anymore and they got lots of drones they want to sell. So they're basically putting them on the market for the low and the lowest bid. Or the, high, the highest bid gets it, and so companies are going in and buying other companies, and people are going in and buying up all these drones for next to nothing. Now, I would never order one because you're never going to get any support for it. They're not going to replace any of those parts ever again because they're not Got making it. them anymore. But that is a symptom of a economic collapse underway. Is when expensive because there's a lot of capital just vanished. Whoever invested the capital in that company, which were probably Chinese investors, because it's an obscure company that. It's apparently never been heard of in the United States, who put a lot of money into building the equipment or getting the equipment and building these drones. Uh, and then bingo, they can't sell them because the the uh, United States is not importing drones. And of course, they're not importing drones because people are scared about the fact that the United States has put a ban on certain drones and they're requiring licensing on drones above a certain size. So this huge demand in the United States went away. But that is a symptom. And I went through their site looking for examples of that, and they are all over the place. It's basically uh, auction lot clearances of electronic equipment all over the place on this Chinese site. 
Now, this is something we've been talking about now for three years, a little more than three years. During the pandemic lockdown, I started talking about quality drops on electronics orders in China. That wasn't just from my own experience, though I threw that in there just to give it a little seasoning. That's anecdotal. When we're talking about a big picture, using our own experience flavors it. So you can say, hey, I got, I got a part that didn't work. Well, I actually went across the board and I ordered, it was a connector from an Android phone to an audio jack, so a headphone jack. I ordered 10 of them from different suppliers. None of them were the name brand. So it was a Samsung phone, Android. I ordered 10 of them. They weren't very expensive. They all arrived and not one of them worked. Not one. Why? Well, it said on the website, these are from Amazon, by the way, these through China from Amazon. Those same providers are not on Amazon anymore. They're under some other name. Uh, and we talked about that at the time. I went into a lot of detail at the time about the infighting amongst small businesses and big businesses in China about people like Samsung stop producing parts in China for a lot of its stuff. Uh, and it was one of the first to start making that move because they saw the lockdown in China as they, they can't actually do business there anymore. Apple took a lot longer because they had a lot more control over their own plants in China. There were all kinds of, as you probably recall during the lockdowns in China, the people that were basically stuck in the plant, in the Apple plants, living in the plants because they couldn't go home trying to escape and the Chinese government stopping them and China saying, hey, whoa, Chinese government, you shouldn't be attacking our workers just because they're leaving the plant. And the Chinese government said, well, they're spreading the disease, so they're required to stay in the plant and they're required to keep on working. They're essential employees. And China said, well, we, or Apple said, well, we don't mind them to continue to work, but this seems a lot like slave labor now. And China said, deal with it. Eventually, after enough of that, Apple's begun moving plants too. Basically, all of the major, you said this, a lot of capital flowed into China. Where did it come from? From Europe and from the United States. We were part of that. The, the growing ability to offshore for a company, to build a product where you had quality control and you had people on site making sure it was coming out properly with less price, less cost to the consumer, everybody did it. I mean, 25 years ago, Walmart had this big thing about made in the USA. It was, a, it was everywhere. It was, this is what we are doing. Well, that kind of slowly faded away because they started losing money. They started losing business to places that didn't care about that. So when the American consumers presented with a $1 object or a 50 cent object, it's not a big deal. But when they're presented with an $80 object and a $40 object and they look the same, they buy the $40 one, not the $80 one. They don't check on the back to see where it was made. They look at the price. So that changed the way Walmart does business. It changed the way everybody did business. And it led to America making more money. And over the time period of, of that shift, we moved a lot of our workforce out of the industrial area and into the information and service area. Well, now those jobs are coming back because China's changed its mind. It doesn't like this whole do business with everybody equally. What started that? Well, 2018, we started a trade war. It was directly against China, but it was also against the entire planet. There, we went over a lot of detail on that in 2018 and 2019 about we were in a trade war with everyone. 
we were with Canada, Mexico, South Korea, the UK, European Union, didn't matter. We were all of them needed renegotiation. And this is even during a time when we had NAFTA. Well, that's we have something very similar to NAFTA now with Canada and Mexico. We just had to renegotiate. We haven't completed the renegotiation with Europe and with Japan and with South South Korea, much less anybody else. It's a, it's a very long process, and the Biden administration is just as much about protectionism as the Trump administration. That is shocking when I tell that to people. Biden is an old union guy. Trump is a populist. On trade, they don't disagree on much. I know they'll say they do, but if you actually look at policy, it's not that different. That's kind of a weird thing as a comparison because they're so different in so many ways. But when it comes to trade, we're very much more protectionist than we used to be, and so is the rest of the world. China particularly is cracking down and at the same time subsidizing. And this is why the European Union and the United States are upset with China for dumping stuff that's less than what it costs to make on the market because that puts out – it takes companies that are doing well in Europe and puts them out of business. It takes companies that are doing well in the United States and puts them out of business because the market gets flooded with a bunch of subsidized stuff from failing businesses that can afford to lose money forever as long as the government continues to pay them. And eventually the government stops paying them, but all the businesses are out of business in Europe and the United States already. So there's a lot of protectionism there because whatever's happening in China, and it's a complicated mess, we don't want that to spread very far. We've talked a lot about China this hour because it it's 20% of the global economy. We're 25% of the global economy. So between us, we're almost the majority. It's a big deal if they have issues. It's a very big deal if they have issues. And it's really nice that we've had a four-year lead-up to be able to pull much of our production out of China. But I invite you to look at the things that you have purchased recently and see where they're made. Yeah. There's still a lot of stuff from China, and if they have a lot of hardship, we're going to feel it. So keep that in mind as well. There's another area other than China. We're, there's a lot of focus on China, a lot of focus on being afraid of China, and a lot of focus on being prepared to deal with China. There's another thing sneaking up through the back door. People like to have things to worry about, uh, so we'll give them something else to worry about. There was um, there are several. McKinsey, which is a advisory firm, uh, warned that their models suggest that White-collar workers, managers, and and others with six-figure incomes are likely to be hit very hard over the next seven years by AI. Yep. And that is, okay, that's just them talking. It's no big thing. I'm not worried about that, people say. But something else came out. Um, And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns a- about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less 
disclosureable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, fourteen hundred a.m. in Temple since nineteen ninety six. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think. Right. Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally, and portfolio management. And portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at... 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are... Uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning, and until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>